Welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5 The Game. We are live this morning from the Wholesaling Studios, powered by RumbleOn.com. Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquise, good to have you in here. Titans with a 27-23 victory yesterday at Nissan Stadium. They improved the 4-4 four and four on the year as we welcome in our pal Corey Curtis from News 2 as he joins us each and every Monday following a Titans game at 7 o'clock. Corey, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Delightful, guys. So, which way do you want to go with this? Because obviously, it's a win. It's great. You're four and four, but boy, there were some questionable decisions yesterday. Well, I mean, I, I said after the game, I think that's about as the least excited I've been about a Titans victory. Um, I didn't think they played particularly well. They got some tremendous breaks to go their way with the officials and with the other team. And um, you know, winning in the NFL is hard, so you never apologize for it. But it's hard to feel great. Uh, about that one are you surprised with um considering um where they ranked um in pass offense um pass yeah pass offense uh, pass defense excuse me that they were not able to do um, more through the passing game meaning the Tennessee Titans because they it seems as if you know they they wanted to run the football which they did um and they kind of you know, Derrick Henry had a few good runs that got called back. But you thought coming into this game, especially after last week, that they were going to be able to do more than what they did um, via the pass. Well, yes and no, because I thought the Bucks' pass defense was so bad that they would just naturally be able to do more. Mm-hmm. But it's just more of – what this team is. I mean, what we saw Sunday was what we've seen all season, okay? I mean, they had eight negative carries in the football game. Eight. Eight carries that went for negative yards. And then in the passing game, you know, we've seen all year where sometimes the receivers are involved and sometimes they aren't. And in the first half, they had six targets for Humphreys, Davis, and Brown. They had one reception for one yard. So, you know, I, I think it goes to that in that first game against San Diego, that's you know, that's as good as Ryan Tannehill can just about be right there. And I know a lot of people were, were ready for Tannehill to take the Titans to the Super Bowl after that San Diego performance. But as I said, there's a reason he's not in Miami anymore. And that's because he's not, you know, Drew Brees, he's not Peyton Manning, he's not Aaron Rodgers, he's not any of those guys. He's He's Ryan Tannehill. And he wasn't horrible yesterday, but he wasn't great. He was Ryan Tannehill. And it was good enough to win yesterday, um, but it was, it was very disappointing um, that those wide receivers could not get more done um, and Tannehill couldn't get more done with those guys. He said after the game, I wasn't good enough today. The offense wasn't good enough today. We need to be better. And, and they do. And, you know, it starts up front, and then, and then it goes all, all the way through the rest of them. I thought Tannehill was going to get killed yesterday when Vita Bay hit him. Corey, I, you know, listen, we, we've already discussed the coaching decision on the, on the, the fake field goal there. Um, three minutes and 45 seconds to go. I'm not sure, you know, you can't really end the game even if you get the first down. So I think that's my biggest concern with that decision. Um, but, but it's not necessarily the worst of his decisions, which is a terrifying thought. So the idea is, is what gives Tennessee Titans fans hope that this coaching staff, when faced with this situation again moving forward, will actually do the right thing? 
I have no idea, Braden. <laughs> I have no idea because we have seen this for what, like four of the last five weeks or five weeks in a row now at this point, a fourth down decision that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you got to go chance to go up seven points and that means you can't lose on a touchdown. Or if they do go for two, you get two chances to win the game by, by getting a stop. I mean, it, and I, I said last night on the show, Mike Rabel can be mad at me all he wants. That decision just doesn't make any sense. And I know you want to be aggressive. I know you love the call and you love the look. Um, but you know what you love more? A seven-point lead, okay? Because your kicker should be able to hit that kick. That's why you've got him. He should be able to make that kick. You've got to trust him to make that kick. It's okay to take the points. It really is. It's okay to take the points sometimes. And, you know, I, I love John Glennon's response yesterday when he said, I only get asked about this when it doesn't work. And he said, that's not true, because it's absolutely not true. Whether or not a bad decision works doesn't make it a good decision. It's a bad decision when it's a bad decision, and it's a bad decision. Corey Curtis News, too, joining us here on Morning Drive, as he does each and every Monday here on the show. You know, Corey, we've been doing this show for, I think, uh, 21 or 22 months now, and I don't think we've really had a negative word to say about Dean Pease and the existence of this program, although I do have to question his decision on yesterday for at least the first half to go with LaShawn Sims as much as he did one-on-one with Mike Evans. And I think we all realize Mike Evans is a bad man and not many people walking earth can defend the guy. Adoree Jackson is out, but why did we not see more Logan Ryan, more Malcolm Butler? What led to LaShawn Sims getting a lot of that coverage early on yesterday? Well, I'm not sure why LaShawn Sims did. I'm guessing they just didn't want to match up with anybody. They just covered what the formation gave him. I asked Mike Vrabel after the game, what did you do in the second half? Because in the first half, he had seven catches for 130 yards. And I mean, they, and that, and that doesn't include the 43 yard PI. I mean, the guy had 250 yards of offense to include the PI, which is what the Titans had as a team. <laughs> and he said, well, we started double covering. We had to, we had to double them the rest of the way. Well, as you said, we've seen Mike Evans do this now for how many years? And and how many time, how many how how much did he have to do in the first half to, to get you to change that? I mean, because you know we saw in the fourth quarter, you know him trying to get Brashard Perriman the football, and I was like, why is he trying to get Brashard Perriman the football? Why isn't he throwing it to Mike Evans now? Well, they they made the switch to double team Mike Evans is what he said. Well, what took so long? I mean, I you know like you said, Dean Pease has had a, a magical season. Um, but for whatever reason, they were slow on the draw with that move. Rashard Perriman played a really good game on defense for for DPs yesterday. Made a nice tackle. You know in the ba- made a nice tackle in the backfield against uh, his own running back there. <laughs> I think I think I wrote last night that um, Mark Sanchez has that play on loop mm. so that he can feel just a little bit better about himself. Oh yeah, I mean that is unbelievable. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it just shows you. Derek, you ever tackle anybody it, going in motion? And nah, I don't want to <laughs> tackle anybody. Um, but it just shows you, you know, how up and down the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That one play kind of, you know, summed up what their season has been thus far. Um, what Arthur Smith continuing to run the football? I think it was a good idea. Um, they only ran the ball twenty one times last week. They ran it twenty nine times. Um, but you hear people, why is he running the ball? Why is he running the ball? I mean, he threw the ball 33 times. So there is, you know, he's trying to keep it balanced. And what you don't want to do against a team like 
Tampa, it's become one-dimensional. So do you like that Arthur Smith continued to run the football? Because Derrick Henry, Henry averaged almost five yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you do have to run the football. There's there's no doubt about that, that you have to continue to run the football at some point. But, you know, the, you know when, when you go three tight ends, and I think you send maybe one guy in a pattern, it's it's pretty obviously that you are going to run it. There's not a lot of not a lot of mystery, uh, you know, to that, especially on first down. You know, I I, I think, you know, that's the I, this team has got to show it can do some things through the air on first down if it's going to loosen some things up at all. And I think that's where the people get, you know, the most angst. And when you see eight negative carries in the football game, you know, that's that's a lot. That's a lot of negative plays carrying the football. And they're not Derrick Henry's fault. They're not Derrick Henry's fault at all. You know, obviously, you know, he, he's got no place to go because I, I continue to say Derrick Henry is running the ball, you know, very effectively. He looks like a completely different player than we saw the first two and a half, you know, years of his career. That, that bounce is gone, and he sticks it up in there, and he's, he's running hard. And, and he did again yesterday. Corey, that leads me to my question. Um, you know, listen, they, they had at one point, Roger Saffold and Ben Jones both looked like they were off the field. Saffold was out with a concussion. Certainly mm-hmm. Taylor, Taylor Lewan looked like he got a knee to the head as well. So basically the entire offensive line was in concussion protocol yesterday, essentially, um, even if they even if it wasn't official. They, they, don't, that, they were down to five offensive linemen. They clearly need help in the middle of that offensive line. Would you did you see anything yesterday that has pushed you to the point of trying to make a move to acquire a piece to make your offensive line better, considering the deadline is coming up? You know, um, I, I think if they could strengthen, you know, their backup center situation, uh, you know, that's why it made cutting Corey Levin so so mystifying, um, and and sticking, you know, Jamil Douglas played center for for one snap, and. I, I just, you know, maybe he is the answer, but I don't know if any of us feel great about that scenario. Um, but you know, again, you gotta, you you gotta be willing to give up something to get something. And I don't know if this team wants to trade draft capital when they're going to be in the market for a quarterback next season. Totally agree with you, Corey. Pleasure as always. We appreciate you stopping by, and we will reconvene again next Monday. All right, thanks, fellas. Enjoy. Have a great you got week. it, Corey Curtis. News too. That's exactly what I said last Wednesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, I can't give up all of my capital or sizable portions of it if I'm going to be in the market come April for a quarterback because I might need every every bullet I have. Yeah, but you don't know I, what he's going to do. I don't think they would if they make a move. They're make, they're not making a move to get a starter. Um, you know, through a trade, it would be it would be. A, a depth piece, someone that they can kind of move around on the offensive line. And I don't think there's uh, – A Dennis Kelly-esque type guy? Yeah, somebody yeah. like that. I can't see another team giving up a starter on the offensive line. Somebody you could get back um, for Delaney Walker, perhaps. Yeah, that's – I love your idea of Alex Mack. I mean, the Falcons are done. <laughs> uh-huh. and they, they should and just listen, ship him out. They, they got rid of Sanu, um, obviously to New England. And, but then and the that's going to command, that's gonna command or, you know, that, a draft pick. That, that's a high – that's, 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 that's a higher draft pick. That, that's a different uh, conversation, right? Like, that, that's going to get a true starter who's a, pro exactly. bowl, a consistent pro bowler. So that's a different – that's a very different equation. You'd have to give up, like – 
an actual starting piece, right? You'd have to give up an Adoree Jackson or and a draft pick or something along those lines. So I'm with you guys, both Corey and you, Nick, on not giving up your best draft capital. Go get a depth piece, though, for maybe either a sixth or seventh rounder or... They can't get a start on offense right now, on offensive line. They can't because... Say if they go get Mac. If if they find a way to pull the trigger and go get Mac, when when is he going to be the starter? Uh, immediately? No, he can't. He doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know the calls. He's not going to be able to learn the calls Still in a week's might be span. better than Ben Jones. He's he's not going to be. It would take him at least, because if you put him in there. Has he ever played guard? You, he, I, I don't know if Matt could, has ever played guard. Play he probably guard. could play guard and kind of learn on the fly, but you can't put him at center. Because what's going to happen is your, your run game's going to suffer and your quarterback might get blown up again, mm-hmm. even more. So if you go get a guy like Mac, you're talking at least three or four games, five games for him to get, you know, caught up at the center. I'm saying just at the center position because he got to make all the calls. Yeah, I, I agree. There's a there's a, a period there, but if you're talking about one of the best centers in the in football, I, I have a feeling you would take him less than five. No, he. I'm telling you, he, he would not be able to play center in a week in the NFL on this offense. If it was the same as Atlanta's, then yes. But he wouldn't be able to play center in a week with this team, and we expect then that this team to be able to run the ball effectively and the quarterback not get hit. You can put him out there if you want to. Go ahead. <laughs> well, isn't that exactly what's happening now? You can't run the ball in the middle I mean, and the quarterback's getting hit? I mean, that's at least can't ben, get any worse. Ben knows, knows what's going on now. Mm-hmm. He's true. getting older. You know? Six, <laughs> 615-737-1025. Here's what we have coming up this hour. 745, we're going to get to the Predators' big win Saturday night. 7.30, we're going to get to the Vols, their big win over the Gamecocks. We'll wrap up our Titans conversation when we come back with Ryan Tannehill. Morning Drive, back after this on ESPN, 102.5 The Game. I feel like, you know, something we can build on. Obviously, today was ugly at times. I feel like I need to be better, need to be more consistent throughout the game. We need to be able to sustain drives throughout the game. Um, offensively, we weren't good enough, in my opinion. Um, but defense really bailed us out, put us in some good spots, and like I said, we were good in the red zone. So we did some good things today. I feel like we have to be more consistent and uh, and put more drives together throughout the game. There you have it, Ryan Tannehill. Yesterday, after a victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, welcome back into Morning Drive. Nick Braden, D-Mace, Marquis. So should Titans fans believe, are Titans fans believing in Ryan Tannehill you look at the numbers, he's 2-0 and as a starter. Mm-hmm. He's 44 of 62 for 71%, 502 yards, five touchdowns, one pick. I would say the one pick is not his fault when, no. he, got, when he got his elbow hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in two games, the ratings have been 120.1 and 109.8. But we know yesterday was not a, was not a sexy performance. No, 5.8 no. yards per attempt is pretty bad. It, it, it went, he did, they scored in the red zone when they were supposed to. He delivered two um, two passes, one to Janu, um, wide open, and then the other one, um, well, three, Janu, um, Brown, and then um, Sharp, another Sharp sighting. That was a back that zone. was a very good throw. Um, so he he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Um, now they were stagnant um, at points and times. Um, so we don't know if, and I'm sure some of it was the quarterback and some of it was the receivers. And the offensive uh, line. You know, so, but he's he, he's doing, he's playing good football. And as long as he plays good football and Derrick Henry continues to run the football the way he is and the defense doesn't play like they did yesterday, 
they're going to be in a position to win, you know, win football games. I, you know, I think um, Chase asked me the question yesterday when we were in the press box. Um, and he said, well, is this, what type of team is it? Are they an eight and eight team or seven and nine? I said, I said, no, this is a nine and seven team. I said, this team will probably win nine games, but still not make it to the playoffs because they're ultimately two games behind um, 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 the leader in, 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 in the AFC South. Um, and I don't think they're going to run the tables from here on out in the AFC South. I think they're going to finish nine and seven for the fourth straight season and not make it to the playoffs, <laughs> um, and that would be kind of that would drive heartbreaking. Exactly, it's kind of Jeff Fisher all over again. As I was going to say, I love Jeff Fisher. It might be more Jeff Fisher than say, even Jeff Fisher. Yeah, it would, people would think you know eight and eight again. Um, but no, the offense in, in in Ryan in particular, he played good enough to win the football game. Didn't have you know didn't have any interceptions. Um, you know, well, they had, didn't have. He had two of them called back. Too, too many. <laughs> you know, they, they they're doing with him what they did with uh, Marcus. But I think they trust Tannehill just a little bit more. What I mean, what they're doing with him, what they did with Marcus, is they're not going to let him, you know, just throw the ball all willy nilly around the yard. They're going to try to do this systematically. And, yes, he ended up throwing the ball 33 times, but I think the game called for him to throw it just a little bit more because of the defense they were going against, the front seven they were going against. But they want to try to keep this as minimum as possible. They want to try to run the ball as more as much as possible, and they don't want to have to put it in the hands of the quarterback. Yeah. But they do, I believe, trust Ryan more to do those things they are asking a quarterback to do than, than Marcus. If you look at the drive chart going into the fourth quarter – Three plays, negative five yards. One play, 10 yards. Six plays, 47 yards. Punt. Three plays, six yards. Three plays, negative four yards. Four plays, 22 yards. Kneel down at the end of the half. Don't really count that. Four plays, 31 yards. Fumble. Three plays, negative one yards. Punt. I mean, that, that, that was their, their drive chart. And two of those were touchdowns because they got the ball inside the 10-yard line. And, and those are gifts. And Tannehill, deserves, Tannehill and the offense deserve, deserves credit for delivering when given the opportunity. You cannot be given opportunities inside the 10-yard line and come away with field goals. Guess what happened to the Bucks last week or, or yesterday? They got into the red zone, and they came away with three field goals because, mm-hmm. the, because the, defense, the, the Titans defense played well enough in those spots. So the throw to Sharp was a great throw uh, after missing Humphreys on an open fade pattern. Uh, the previous play, he came back and threw a great. That, that's a he dropped it in a bucket for Tajay Sharp. That's a great throw. Um, Johnu Smith, they, they literally had three guys with two guys covering him. Johnu Smith was wide open. I should, you know, the three of us should make that throw. But why in the world are they throwing a fade to Adam Humphreys? See, I have no idea. See, they were trying so, to get him a touchdown. So I like that's the, what I. That's what I'm. 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 I'm of all of, guys, no, no, you're no, no, throwing no, no. a fade trying to get so him a touchdown. I, and Derek, I don't, you you may agree, disagree. I don't know. The slot fade is one of the most dangerous and most popular passes currently. Yeah, but to in, a five in, nine guy, it, he was open. He, he was open. so That would have had to be a perfect pass of because course. he would have had to get it over the defensive back and then in the back of the end well, zone. Well, he made the exact throw the very next play to Tajay Sharp. He but threw Sharp's it over like 6'3", uh, so you got a little bit of room, room you got, for error. Yeah, he's, he's, he's got more length. There's no question. I, I just enjoy this. I think the slot fade is a really dangerous pass. It's a really, yeah, I agree. It's a really hard pass play to defend because the slot, to be able to get – you have so much field to work with when you can line up inside and then run a fade to the back corner – it's a very dangerous pass to defend. But it, 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 regardless, the, the the point is, is outside of being given the football inside the 10-yard line, the offense basically accomplished nothing. 
until the one drive that it needed to. And that is where you have to give credit because that drive was absolutely critical. Now, the previous drive, they went 10 plays, 68 yards, and kicked a field goal. That was the starting point that that sort of showed, all right, maybe there's some life here. Then they come back down the field and they score the touchdown. So you basically had two drives the entire game where you were sustainable. Otherwise, you didn't sustain a single drive. Not one time during the entire game did you just sustain an actual drive. And Ryan Tannehill just said that. So you got to be better. The offense has to be better. The defense played its worst game. Special teams missed the fake. Vrabel made a bad decision. All across the board, everyone has to be better if they want to continue to win games. But you pointed out the 5.8 yards per attempt for Tannehill. He, here's why I don't like that metric. Does, it, does that account for what the down and distance is, who the offensive coordinator is, the amount of protection or lack thereof your offensive line is giving you, and the you know there's so many other facets that you could bring into like, well, was it 7.8 per attempt or 5.8? I, I can't kill Tannehill unless he's missing wide-open guys and he's just being checked down Charlie. No, then I, I think yards yeah. per attempt is more of an indictment against him. Well, he didn't throw the ball down past 10 yards most of the day yesterday. So if that's the entire offense's fault, that's fine. We can blame the entire offense. The point is is that they weren't picking up yards. Like A, a great quarterback is going to pick up 7, 8, 9, 10 yards per attempt. 10 sure. yards per attempt is really, really good. And that means you're able to throw the football either down the field or your receivers are making plays after the after the catch, which means your scheme is really good. So it, it doesn't ma- it sort of doesn't matter because to your point, offensive line play down and distance that all affects every other stat too, right? Like total yards, touchdowns, interceptions, all, all that stuff. Third down conversions is you know if you're if you're in third and thirteen, you shouldn't have a high conversion rate, right? If you're in third and four, you should have a high conversion rate. So so stats you have to take every stat with sort of an understanding of the situation in the game. But if you're going to throw the ball 33 times, you need at least 200 yards. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You, you can't throw the ball 33 times and pick up 195 yards. Like, that's, that's just Especially not, against the worst defense pass-wise. That, again, against right. the defense. And this is my issue with, with this offense yesterday. It, Corey Davis and A.J. Brown should have been far bigger factors. What did we talk about with Tannehill in week one? He's able to get the ball to his playmakers outside the numbers. That's what Marcus can't do, mm-hmm. right? That's what Tannehill can do. And they couldn't do it at all yesterday. Corey Davis had one catch. You know, two catches for whatever, 12 yards. And, and, and A.J. Brown, huge play in the end zone to win the game. But outside of that play, was A.J. Brown a, a relevant commodity on the field yesterday? No, he wasn't. And so you've got to get those guys the football on the outside. And that's what Ryan's supposed to be better at than, than Mariota. And he didn't yesterday. All of this doesn't matter, though, guys, because they got the win. Six one five seven three seven one zero two five is the number. If you want to jump in on the conversation, we will come back. A lot of people tweeting this morning. Hey, are we gonna are we gonna get to the Vols? Big win yesterday. Or are we just gonna rip Vrabel all day? Trust me, we're gonna get to the Vols. We will do it next. Forty one twenty one. Tennessee not only beat South Carolina on Saturday, they beat the officials. It was a two on one handicap match, and they still won by three scores. Back after this. 7.32, welcome back into Morning Drive, ESPN 102.5, the game. Vols talk coming up in a second, but late-breaking developments in the Twitter sphere. <laughs> Actually, the text sphere. Oh, no, this is private. Yes, this, this was private. Uh, so Stillman sends me a text right as we go to break. He said, Tannehill played great. The idea of taking yards per attempt to say he didn't play well <laughs> is ridiculous. 
Tannehill was legit, to which, Braden, you've got thoughts. No, no, what else is there? Tannehill, oh, you was, everything? Tannehill was awesome? Is, so, that, is that what I heard in there, too? I, resp- I responded. I said, he didn't play great, but I agree with you. Yards per attempt to discredit is lame, which is why I pointed it out. Braden's now going to rip you. He responds by saying, <laughs> Tannehill was awesome. I said, stop, LOL. And here's actually a good point from Stillman. Oh, no. He had no line against Barrett, Sue, Via, and JPP and had to carry Arthur Smith's dopey you-know-what play calling. Yeah, I don't, have a, I don't, I don't disagree with that. But go ahead, get you, go yeah, after your boy. Uh, well, listen here, you human frat paddle. Um, all right, <laughs> here, here's the deal, Stillman. If you think Ryan Tannehill was absolutely awesome yesterday, you don't know a damn thing about football. That's just the bottom line. Like, you don't know Ryan Tannehill or good quarterbacking from a jar of Vicks, right? Is that, is that the line from his co-host? Listen, Ryan Tannehill played a very good game against the Chargers. It was the highest completion percentage of his entire seven-year NFL career, which means it was one of the best games he'd ever played. That is not the norm. Yesterday was the norm. In fact, it looked exactly like Marcus Mariota, right? A bad game where he wasn't really all that good, but he had one big drive in the fourth quarter to win his team a game. That's all you want out of your quarterback is to win a game, but don't sit here and tell me that he was awesome. He had 65 passing yards, like almost into the fourth quarter against the team giving up 300 per game. Don't tell me he was awesome. They were average. Everybody was average yesterday. And if not bad, the defense, the offensive line, I agree with all of the points there. The offensive line didn't give him much help. The running game, you know, had a couple of nice plays, but largely was held in check. The the, the receiving core was completely, uh, you know, um, uninspiring. Ryan Tannehill had two interceptions called back, one of them on luck. He was not good yesterday. Don't tell me he was awesome. He was really, really good on one drive, and it won you the game, and that is all that matters today. Moving forward in games where you have to beat better defenses when you're playing against really good teams, you're going to have to be a lot better than you were yesterday, and, and that's okay. Ryan Tannehill literally said as much. Like, don't take it from me, mm-hmm. Stillman. Take it from <laughs> take it for Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, who said we only had one drive, we didn't sustain drives. We need to be better. They were he wasn't awesome yesterday. Don't give me that crap. You good now? Human frat paddle. You need a cigarette? You got go wait, 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 till, wait till you know. You know what? If you're gonna text crap like that, text it to me, dude. Don't don't text it to my co-host. Text it to me. If you disagree with what I have to say, don't talk trash about me to my co-host. Send it to me. Tweet me publicly. Yeah, Jared. Come, come at me for real, He's dude. a man. He's almost I'm 40. F- I'm almost 40. <laughs> You're almost Mike Gundy. <laughs> I wish I had a mullet, too. God, I wish I had a mullet. It'd be a good look for you. All right. Do you guys so, wish you had mullets? No. No, I just wish I had hair on top of my head, much less to going down the back. All right. I feel better now. All right. Saturday, before the Titans took care of business, the Vols, they took care of business as well. Tennessee ambushes South Carolina in the second half after the Gamecocks led heading to the third quarter. These two guys talk a lot, both coming from the Saban coaching tree as the Vols get the win tonight to improve the 3-5. and five. All right, so that was Taylor Zarzer, the call, SEC Network. He'll join us in about 25 minutes. Tennessee wins 41-21 to as a home underdog against South Carolina. And I think that's a fantastic win for Jeremy Pruitt and the Vols. And I know on this show we, we don't go overboard with bad officiating, but I'm telling you, that, that was as lopsided as I've ever seen. Well, I, it felt like a handicap match. I've also never seen so many plays where like it legitimately needed to be reviewed, right, around the goal line. How many touchdowns in that game were reviewed? But because they kind of had to be. It, unfortunately, it just kind of worked out that way. 
Um, I think the officials actually got the calls right most of the time around the goal line. Let's step back from the individual stuff on this particular game, the the handling of the quarterback situation, Jared Garantano's injury, you know, whatever. Uh, Here's the deal. You, You made big plays. You made big plays on offense. Juwan Jennings is one of the best players to come through that facility in 15 years. If everybody else, we've said this all season long, if everybody else on that team played the way Juwan Jennings played, they would have more wins right now. Um, that that guy is, is an absolute beast. And I, uh, special teams. Jeremy Pruitt coached special teams. It's how he got his job at high school in Hoover, Alabama. It's how he got to Nick Saban's program at Alabama, was coaching special teams. And they made big plays in special teams. Two touchdowns uh, on, on that side of things. Here's the bottom line. You haven't seen a performance like that in Neyland Stadium in quite some time. You have not seen a dominant blowout win against an SEC opponent that was favored over you in that building in a long time. And for Tennessee fans, that had to be cathartic on on Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, because you have not seen a showing like that. 0-7 against Will Muschamp. You get your first win against Will Muschamp. And we said you were going to be defined by what you did against Mississippi State, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. Those are the three games I pointed to all summer long. What do you do in those three games at home? Right now you're 2-0. and in those games, and there are signs of life, and a bowl game is still a possibility. Well, they're they're starting to um, play much better football. Um, you know, they're getting this energy um, some, some from some place, and you know, maybe now those younger guys are starting to figure it out, and they're starting to play a little bit better. Um, you know, what, the guy that I feel sorry for is Garantano is, you know, he played a really good game um, Saturday. But then he gets hurt. He breaks his um, wrist, I believe, uh, his non-throwing wrist, but still. Um, but and, and this was a guy that, you know, just a week ago or two weeks ago, you know, the coach was, you know, down his throat because of a play um, that he tried to make, um, you know, against Alabama. It was the wrong play. Uh, he he went against what was called. Uh, I was wondering how would then how would he react after going through a situation like that? Because some kids at that age, man, they just fold, and you know they allow you know the negative to get to them. But mm-hmm. Garantano came back and he eleven for nineteen, two hundred and thirty yards, two touchdowns, twelve point one yards per pass. I mean, he played a really good game before he went out. So. You know, kudos to to him for putting all that negative stuff behind him very quickly and then going out against a team that many thought you were going to lose against at home. Yeah, and if you look at the box score and you look at the team stats, it's going to show you that South Carolina and Tennessee both were penalized eight times. Mm -hmm. So it's going to look all split right down the middle, 50-50, very proportionate to the way it should be. If you watch the game, I mean, I know the targeting by letter of the law was targeting and he had to be ejected. I don't know what that kid is supposed to do in that situation where he buries that quarterback. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what is the kid supposed to do? And then some of the other flags throughout the game, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I mean, Greg Sankey or somebody in the SEC officiating office has got to answer for this. It, it, it was targeting. It was targeting, guys. I hate to break it to but you. But what are you supposed to do? I, I, don't, they, I don't know. What they don't need know. to do is they need, to really, the they need to really go back and reevaluate. And it, there should be a rule in there that states that is it was there any way the defender could avoid avoid it not hitting him 
the way he did because sometimes a guy goes low expecting to hit him in his torso and, he, and, he does. and then the guy does right. so it's like what am I supposed but, to do but how do there you, but how do you legislate some, intent right you, like, no, you, no, can't, you, can, you can't do that no you, you what I'm saying is this this if I see that the guy is in one position as he's running the ball or if he's a quarterback and then the player that is tackling the ball carrier runner, he's going low to not hit him, but then all of a sudden, last minute, he ducks. I, I should be, as a ref, I shouldn't know what intent is. You've been in this game long enough. I think we're, we're giving away, we're giving refs way out when they say, well, we can't really judge intent. If you go back and look at the film, you will know that, hey, this guy went low, but all of a sudden, the, the ball carrier dropped his body. What, like you said, Nick, what is he supposed to do? Yeah, and I just, you know, by and large then, too, you, the, the, over the course of this entire football season within this conference. But I'm not saying it's, it still shouldn't be a penalty, no, yeah. but it shouldn't be an ejection. I, I'd, be, I'd be totally fine with that. But at some point, Greg Sankey's got to come forward and start either reprimanding these officials. I mean, wh- where's the, the accountability from the commissioner in this conference to punitively react to poor job? To, you mean you're, these referees in this conference, week in and week out, it's not just Twitter anymore. It is. Well, it's not just it's the SEC. As, it's across the country. It, well, it's, it's the NFL, too. Yeah. So, so I don't really know. It's just awful. I, I don't think it's as awful as maybe the – like, again, I'm with Derek. I think the rule maybe is, is the problem, but I don't know how you fix the rule. I, I don't know how you fix the rule. That was a targeting penalty by the letter of the law, and it should have been a penalty. He hit him right in the head, and then he drove him into the ground. I, listen, you can be upset about that and say, hey, in 1997, that wouldn't have get, gotten called. Well, right, I, I get it. And, and Vita Vea's hit on Ryan Tannehill yesterday would not have been a penalty five years ago. Okay, but it was. And it took away an interception for Tampa Bay. So it worked in your favor yesterday for Titans fans, right? So I don't know what we're supposed to do. I don't know how you, to, to your point, Derek, I think that would be the smart way to approach it is to say, look, this guy clearly is trying to avoid the head. And and the offensive player is kind of creating the contact mm-hmm. by making his. But how do you legislate intent in in a in a game that happens in bang 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 split seconds? I don't know how you legislate intent. Well, in college football, you can you, because you've you got go to back to the replay. Fa- well, keep your face mask up. That's what that player could have done. If you keep your face mask up, but, but fa- and in, in duck, college you know, football, I don't, I don't think it really matters because if you hit him in the head, period, right. they're going to throw a flag, and, and that's not much different in the NFL, really. Like they're the same kind of rule, and like I, again, I don't know what you can do. I don't know how you solve it, other than sometimes you're just going to have to deal with that call again. The, the the hit on Tannehill yesterday that took away the interception where Vita Vey got flagged for the mm-hmm. roughing the passer. That's a normal, regular hit where he comes in face mask up and he just happens to catch Tannehill in the face because as he's following through, uh-huh. his head moves into the path. Like, I don't know what you do about it, guys. You know what, I don't know how you fix it. You know it. what the problem is here is that they don't, they don't legisl- legislate it around the board. When I, when I, what I say is this, what I mean is this, is that those hits on the quarterback – are different than those hits on the ball carry because there were there was a play I think in a Titans game where the run it was it it might have been in a Titans game or in a game a little, no it was in the Oakland game where the linebacker shoots the gap and he hits the running back you know where he hit the running back square in the helmet he targeted but they didn't throw it because it's he's the ball carrier, yeah. and it's, they it's they they, legis- yeah. they legislated differently. If they would do it across the board the same way, then guys would adapt differently. But you telling me that I can hit him this way, 
but I can't hear him the same way. You're confusing people. Let's take a listen to Tennessee Volunteer Head Coach Jeremy Pruitt Saturday night after the game. He was asked how he decided on his quarterback. I decided. What went through why why did you decide to do it that way? Because it's just the way I wanted to do it. There you go. It's the truth. And I will say this, actually, on on Pruitt. I I think, you know, sort of not necessarily admitting that he overreacted, but sort of just taking the blame on the overreaction. Um, I, I think some of that is a positive step for him because you know the, he, de- he never apologized to that dry erase board at the end of the year last year. So I, I think the idea of him saying, "Look, listen, I, I you know, he, he's got to be in control." He, he looked like he was on the edge of a breakdown on Saturday night, uh, but it worked. W- whatever it is they did this week, it worked because they played good enough football to dominate South Carolina by and large in the second. In the second half, they pitched a, t- in a, a shutout, right, twenty-four nothing in the second half. They had a great second-half game plan. They made big plays on offense. Juwan Jennings was a stud. They made big plays on special teams. The defense shut them out in the second half. That was a that looked like the way Tennessee should have played football for the last 15 years. And it's been at least two or three years since you've seen an, a performance like that from the Tennessee Volunteers at home against an SEC divisional foe mm-hmm. You know where you're an underdog and you play really well. The, the, Neyland Stadium and the Vols needed that showing on Saturday night. I don't know if they can get to a bowl game. But Missouri looked terrible the last two weeks. You know, Kentucky's playing with a wide receiver at quarterback right now. Vandy doesn't look that much better. You've got winnable games on your schedule the rest of the way. So if you can run the table, you can get back to a bowl game. You can go three and one. You can get back. You can get to a bowl game, and that would be considered a huge step forward after losing to Georgia State and BYU. Jawan Jennings is the Victor Arvidsson of Knoxville. He's just got more dog in him than anybody else. <laughs> uh, yeah, the kid can he can flat out. He's just a ball player. Um, you know, I think you could put him anywhere on the field and he will have some success. Uh, quarterback, receiver, you put him at running back. You probably put him at defensive back. He has some type of success mm-hmm. out there on the football field. Speaking of Victor Arbertson, Preds with a big win on Saturday night. We will get to them when we come back and just how big it really was. Stay there. It's Morning Drive. We're back after this. And that's how it sounded on Saturday night here on ESPN 102.5 The Game and the Predators Radio Network. Nashville defeats Tampa Bay 3-2 in overtime. Through 11 games, I'll just go on record and say, in my opinion, the victory of the year so far in the early portion Ooh. of the season. No, like Matt du- no Matt Duchesne. Hot take. No Philip Forsberg. Both out. Pecorine not in net. UC Soros in net. And you got multiple power play goals against what many people believe is the premier team in the Eastern Conference. Win of the year. Come from behind. You score late to tie it up. You get a, a snipe from Ryan Ellis in overtime. Um, UC Soros played really well. I think a lot of the guys will, will, were talking about it after the game mm-hmm. that hey, we finally played the way we're supposed to play in front of UC Soros to give him some help. That was the concern uh, after going 0-3 for 3 to start the season. So, yeah, that's a, that's a really big road win against a very good team. And, and let's be honest, they've just sort of owned Tampa Bay. Like They have just, for whatever reason, they just play very well against Tampa. Not not uh, scared at all. And um, I, I do love those Eastern time zone starts. I get My, my daughter gets to watch some hockey on a Saturday night. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't mind those Eastern time zone start times. Yarn Croak got another... another um go after after um, Victor stole one from him <laughs> but Lavi said that he said it, it, it'll come back around and then lo and behold he did say that Thursday yeah, yeah. And lo and behold he gets one goal then he comes back and get another yep. um, you know this team played you know they played well um, they were down um, 2-1 in the third period I mean the second period 
end up scoring a goal in the third and then end up winning in overtime. Um, and this has been the sort of the problem when Soros has been in net is that they haven't played particularly well in front of them. Uh, well, this time they did. Um, it took overtime, but they played well in front of him. And he went back to being the – we saw the UC Soros that we saw last year. Uh, his save percentage was 93%, uh, and that's where he is about – you know, that's where I think he ended up the season somewhere in that mid-90s, low to mid-90s. Um, so you know what you're getting out of UC if you do what you're supposed to do in front of net. Is he Pekka? No. Can you get away with some of the things – um, you know, some things with Pekka. Yes, you can because Pekka is just exceptional. But when UC's in the net, I think you got to, you, you know, UC's is great. I think UC's a really good player, but you got to, you got to really be on your game when UC's in the net. Can I officially profess my love for one man on this show? Who, me? No, I, you. you know thank I already you. love I you. I appreciate it. Thank but you. I'm going to kick well, you to the curb. It's certainly not going to be me. <laughs> Definitely not you. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. So you love Derek, Martin? but you definitely not. Not Marge Simpson. I, I got to <laughs> profess my love for Dan Lambert because you got multiple power play goals, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have had a power play goal in almost every single game this year. I don't know where they rank in the league, and quite frankly, I don't care. The bottom line <laughs> is the power play looks light years better. It is night and day. So Dan Lambert, you're not only a problem solver, you're not only a power play fixture, you are, you are now my new man crush. I am professing my love for Dan Lambert on this show, and I don't care who doesn't like it. Mm. Dan Lambert, thank you for fixing something that mathematically should always work. When you have a 5-on-4 advantage, you should score goals. You corrected it. If I have marriage issues, if I have children issues, oh. I will come to you moving forward. Do, do you know specifically what they're doing differently? I don't have an idea. <laughs> they move the puck quicker. They yeah, attack. Yeah. They get pucks on net. All the cliches you want to throw out. It's working. They, they are at 22% currently. That is 14th in the NHL. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Um, but, but and we it, said if they were in the middle of the pack. Well, and that'll even out, too. Uh-huh. I think 22, if you look at last year's number, 22% would put you right at 7th. So that's a top 10 power play right now, roughly speaking. The, the teams that are at 35% right now are going to come back down to earth a little bit in the NHL. So the point is it's better. The point is it works. Uh, some of that is you spend eight million dollars on Matt Duchesne, and he's he's a very big piece of the of the power play puzzle. Um, so that's a big part of it. But um, no, it's been better. And and what's it's it's just one of those things in hockey where last year at the end of the season, I, I thought it was fascinating that Peter Laviolette opened up more about that one thing than he's opened up about anything else. Where he gave us like six and a half minutes of rambling. Hey, I, here's literally every possible thing we tried last year to fix this problem, and nothing worked. We don't know what the problem was. And it's just one of those things in sports, like like baseball. How is it the Washington Nationals' bats can crush Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander in games one and two in Houston and then come home and score like three runs total in three games? Like, I don't – how? Why is that a thing that can happen? Because sports, because baseball. It could be simply as Dan Lambert, a different set of eyes, a different voice, totally. a different philosophy. You know, McCarthy tried this, Muse tried that, none, there was no success. You bring in a different guy, and all of a sudden it comes to life, and it's at least respectable, and respectable feels great right about now. Yeah, and, and you're totally right. A fresh look at something, right? Like, how many players, and unfortunately this is going to go right back to Mariota, as everything does, how, how many players, when given a fresh opportunity, get better? It happens all the time in every sport where a guy leaves one team, goes to another team, and plays better because he's got a fresh start. In fact, if Ryan Tannehill w- continues to be good this season, 
he will have been better than at any point during his Dolphins career. Yep. So we'll say, well, what was it? Well, maybe it was just a change of scenery that did it for him. And, and maybe just having a fresh set of eyes and the work that Lam- Coach Lambert is doing right now is clearly working. And uh, for them to get multiple power play goals in those situations on the road against a good team, you know, late in the game you score to tie it up and then you, you finish the deal with, with the game winner in overtime from Ryan Ellis. Um, Ellis is just having an exceptional start to the season. we got to comment on him as well absolute snipe there to, to win the game and his point production offensively has been through the roof so mm-hmm. a- excellent start to the year for ryan ellis okay predators back in action tomorrow night as they return home to bridgestone arena to take on the last place chicago blackhawks and obviously you got to keep winning because if you look at the standings colorado is off to a tear this year they're actually i believe two points ahead of the predators at they, eight two and one they are who we thought they were they're looking pretty good that, they, they were the vegas favorite to win the division so. yeah they were coming up next we will get back to college football taylor zarzer from the sec network called the game for tennessee and by the way when the vols have taylor zarzer on the call with stinchcomb for the sec network they are seven and zero. But 7-0 and is also no longer in operation because that was Will Muschamp's record against the Vols until Saturday. We'll go back to Knoxville next on Morning Drive.